Good evening, and welcome to the Watch Along Notes for Progressively Horrified, episode 68. Here's some things you might want to know before you watch the movie or listen to this episode. This week, we're discussing Alien 3. It's directed by David Fincher and written by Vincent Ward, Larry Ferguson, Walter Hill, and David Giller. Our hosts rank this as spooky, meaning it's got scary moments, but it's not one of the scariest we've ever seen. Some relevant trigger warnings for this one include quite a few things. Sexual assault, attempted rape, blood, body trauma, child death and autopsy, a dead nude child, religious cult, flashing lights, animal death, and specifically dog death. After the music, we will talk about the movie in full, so expect spoilers. But before we get there, something special to talk about this week about upcoming episodes. As you all know, February is Black History Month in the U.S., so to honor that, we'll be discussing horror movies with black directors. Every Monday, we'll be discussing short films directed by black women, and every Friday, we'll be talking about feature films with black directors. Next week, we'll be talking about William Crane's Blackula, followed by Cassie Lemon's gothic horror, Eve's Bayou, Jordan Peele's supremely creepy Us, and finally, Nia DaCosta's 2021 update of Candyman. For the short films, we'll be discussing movies by Zendasha Brown, Sierra Boniface, Brie Newsom, and Miriam Diallo. So be sure to tune into those both Monday and Friday for brand new episodes every week in February. And while you're here, if you can, stop by our Patreon at progressivelyhorrified.patreon.com where you'll get extra episodes, all episodes a week early. And most importantly, you'll help us keep the lights on here and help us keep making episodes of this podcast. We'd greatly appreciate it. Now, let's get on with the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the chest-bursting prison thriller Alien 3. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to invade your house and find queer content in all your favorite movies. It's co-host and comic book writer Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Call it a hunch, but I think this Fincher kid is going places. (laughs) He's got a real promising future. And we picked her up at the spooky crossroads of anime and sexy monster media. It's co-host and comic artist, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I have three words for this film. Bless this mess. It is a mess. Um, and and that's will, how I feel. Yeah. We'll go over why. Yeah. Uh, and our special guest tonight, the writer of Daredevil, Bylines and Blood, Forgotten Home, and The Deadliest Bouquet. It's Erica Schultz. Welcome, Erica. Welcome. Okay. I want bless this mess on one of those like plaques that you put in your house. Yeah, like that- a cross stitch. Yeah, yeah. I want bless this mess on a pillow. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure you can find one, especially here in the South, at almost any like home goods type store. <laughs> They're all over the place. I want an inspirational poster with the Charles S. Dutton as Dylan. With the words, bless this mess. <laughs> um, I just want an inspirational sign to hang up in my office that says, fuck this noise. Yeah. <laughs> or, or I, I guess in the office, else. I guess in the office, it's probably better if it's a fuck you, pay me. Just there you put go. It right above my desk. Oh, shit. I just had the line, we need to do an autopsy stenciled into a pillow. <laughs> That's good. 
I mean, that's, that's like, you know, it's very contextual, like in terms of you can make it about anything depending on the context. And, yeah. uh, you, you know, get story notes back. Just, we need to do an op. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> a little bit about this movie to start off. It is directed by David Fincher, who you might know from the films Seven, The Game, Fight Club, Zodiac, Gone Girl, The Social Network. And let's not forget the music video for Madonna's Vogue. He is a legendary director at this point, but yep. uh, Alien 3 was his first feature film and nearly, nearly kicked him right back out of the industry because it, had, has, it was rough times. He has since disavowed this movie. While it's probably his worst movie, I'd argue that overall it's pretty well-directed if all the hallways at the end get a little hard to follow. But there is clearly a gifted and talented eye for cinematic storytelling at work in Alien 3. Oh yeah, this is a movie, the the aesthetics are on point, the cinematography, there's a lot of excellent craft in this film. Yeah, I think where most of the problems are is when you look at the writer section, this movie is written by Vincent Ward, uh, whose other biggest movie is The Navigator, A Time Travel Adventure, which was also his his film. It is also written by Larry Ferguson, Walter Hill, and David Giller, two of whom are the producers of this movie, which is rarely a good sign when your producers are the credited writers for something that means something has gone horribly wrong in the making of this movie well do we want to talk a little about the production of this movie because i think one of the things that is almost as famous as alien 3 is all the versions of alien 3 that didn't get made yeah because you had entire scripts and concept leaked in the internet like this is early ass internet where it's like alien 3 is kind of one of the first movies where the internet impacted the conversation around it it definitely seems like part of the narrative has become whatever the merits of alien 3 are the ones the alien 3s that we didn't get are usually considered a little more interesting or and, and granted, how much of that is just wait that potential where it's like, ooh, it could be whatever I imagine it could be. There is an audible version of the um, Alien Three script written by William Gibson. Yeah, which is Neuromancer. They brought the Neuromancer guy in and was like, "You want to do Alien 3? And he was like, "Hell yeah, I do." Yeah, it's going to be about the Cold War, and everyone's yeah. like, "Okay, but where does the alien show up?" Does anybody know if the novelization? Because there was at least one if not two different novelizations that were done mm-hmm. yeah the and novelization a comic book version follows yeah. so, very close yeah. to the uh the script for what ended up being david fincher's original cut of the movie well uh what we now it, call this, it, oh no, sorry yeah alien cubed or alien three yeah what we, what what's now called the assembly cut because i mean how this worked is there were two other different directors that were supposed to direct this movie the first being ridley scott uh and the producers decided his idea was too expensive so they didn't want him to come back in and they didn't want him to direct this movie about the origin of the xenomorphs which um guess what we ended up Good getting eventually anyway turns out out sometimes producers make the right call yeah uh, there was then another director that came in and was run out before anything ever started and david fincher uh who you know was brand new had only really done music videos to this point this was his first feature decided to take it on he quit three times over the course of making the movie and you know came back in and redid stuff they they recut from his final cut to make the theatrical version and then in the last couple of years well this is 
before this was common practice, I think, to have like a director's cut, they started going through and making a, a director's cut with his original film, all of which was already filmed, uh, some of which the special effects were not done on, but, you know, they were touched up in some spots. And David Fincher hates this some movie so much that he refused to have it be called a director's cut. He, Amazing. Yeah. They asked him if they could do it. He said, that's fine, as long as you don't call it a director's cut. So it's called the assembly cut instead of a director's cut. Uh, and it's half an hour longer than the theatrical version. And there's a lot of issues with technical stuff in the uh, in the longer cut because, you know, they didn't have like ADR for people on those scenes that, you know, yeah, they didn't have somebody come in 20 years later and do ADR. <laughs> yeah. The CGI in this movie in any cut is um, a little noticeable, a little distracting. But yeah, no, yeah, yes, yeah. One thing that I always notice about director's cuts, I mean, like whether it's the Donner cut for Superman 2 or whatever, is that I, I, because it's not usually finished, is that there's always some like little missing um, connective tissue story-wise. And I think it's, it's more of the idea of like what Ben said earlier, it's like, the idea of you know where that storyline was going, even if you don't have it completely presented to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. So again, of the different versions, there was the Gibson script where Hicks was going to be the main character. It was going to be like Cold War with like the Xenomorphs as nukes, where eventually it would be both sides unleashing Xenomorphs on each other. That uh, did eventually get turned into a comic book. And then in 2019, it was an audio drama where Michael Bean and Lance Hendrickson actually came back and reprised their roles as uh, Hicks and Bishop. Uh, another version uh, where which of Ferrum, which some did make its way into the final version, was going to be entirely on a prison planet run by Waylon Utani. Uh, Ripley wasn't going to be in it at all. It was just going to be entirely about these prisoners and the corporation doing xenomorph experiments on them. Uh, and then that another version of Alien 3 was going to be Ripley lands on a planet made it on like a satellite made entirely of wood uh, run by like communist monk by socialist monks. That was a little closer to Alien 3. So you can kind of see how from those two versions, they compromise and they're like, wood planet, way too expensive. We're not fucking doing that. And then that kind of merged into like, what if it's prisoners, but they're just kind of sort of religious for some reason. Honestly, the wood planet sounds so ridiculous, but I still believe- It sounds like a Star Trek TOS premise. Right? It sounds like you have Wood Planet. I don't know how they have Wood Planet. I'm still trying to figure that out right now in my brain. At least the concept art they made for that. Oh, sure. I don't even know what that looks like. Well, that's the thing, too, is that you have Wood Planet and that got pretty far. But I still believe Wood Planet over the bullshit that they pull in Prometheus with all of the the health regulations. We will do Prometheus one day and I'm going to I'm going to tell you right now, I will be drinking for that one. (laughs) I don't think it's a sacred. Prometheus is whole Prometheus is. (laughs) one of my favorite so bad it's good movies i mean i don't know if i would say it's so bad it's good but i would i was my definitely my favorite movie to pick on because it is a very incredibly high budget movie that i'm like i'm I'm, i think i'm punching up prometheus is going when we do prometheus it's gonna be a shit talking the likes of which we haven't done since we covered the first resident evil movie yes Erica, Erica, you were what saying? Were you going to say? I have to say, it's not Alien 3 or Alien Cubed, as Ben mentioned. But if you have Netflix, the movies that made us, they do an Aliens. So the second Alien movie, they have an episode on that, which is really interesting because Sigourney Weaver 
does is on it and she talks a whole lot about just the process in general and a lot of that can be sort of extended to the other the sequels and stuff because of like you know the the shooting schedule and and the the sort of claustrophobia for lack of a better term that sort of like mood that that all of these movies well prometheus we'll just put that over there yeah um, but you know, like I would think like the canonical three alien films sort of have in common this sort of like claustrophobia, not to mention just like the palette. And stuff. So I'm not yeah. going to lie. I'd never seen this before. And I kind of got this a little confused with Alien Resurrection. So she's in this whole underground prison and I'm spending the first 40 minutes being like, when's she going to do the basketball trick? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is really interesting because this movie looks a lot more like a Jean-Pierre Jeunet movie than Alien Resurrection, which he did direct. Like, this movie looks way more like City of Lost Children and Delicatessen with the same kind of characters in it, even, just without any of the fun. Well, or speaking, like, of, speaking of sex. the characters, let's talk about who's in this, because Sigourney yes. Weaver does, <clears throat> does make her way back as Ripley. Neither of the other two who survived the first movie are alive in this movie, or the Which second movie. Bad, yeah. I, have such a, I always had a crush on Michael Bean, so I was like... So I will say... Yeah, one and of he, the... we, we praised him when we watched Aliens as being, like, the one guy who actually listens to the woman, and he's the one who survives um and like then he, they just kill him off screen but uh also there's charles s dutton who plays like the dylan who's like the priest there there's charles great. who plays also great the, the medic uh if you've ever wanted to see a, a romance with uh, tywin lannister here you go um lance henrickson i did yeah lance henrickson appears briefly uh to yes. reprise his role as bishop or half of him anyway um well, and he, then you do get a guest appearance, depending on what version of the movie you're watching, more or less of uh, the eighth doctor. Paul McGann uh, is in this movie. If you're watching the assembly cut, he's in quite a bit of it. If you're watching the theatrical version, he's there in the background. And yeah, and I spent most of the movie going, where's Paul McGann? When and is Paul McGann going to show up? He's the one of the many like sallow faced British bald British men covered in blood. So I will say before we dive too deep into the plot, if I can get a little serious in my put on my old film minor hat, just Please. kidding. I, I did not get enough credits to qualify for a film minor. Um, did you get the hat? I did get the hat. I took it from somebody. It still yeah. counts. I do enjoy Real this artist, movie yeah. on its own as this like independent monster movie, as this its own sci-fi uh, horror movie. The the theme that I think it fails to explore, and I think this is the theme that more than anything else define uh, unites the first movie and the second one, and I think it's the overall theme that any good alien movie should have and that is exploring the systems by which mankind designates other human beings as disposable and that's why i think like a pri like a prison is such a perfect setting for an alien story like in terms of continuing the theme of mankind not valuing the life and how we come to dis discard the value of human life than with prison like it totally fits into the themes even without the overt anti-capitalism like of the first movie and this movie just throws so many plot contrivances and weird sci-fi bullshit that you just don't get that theme at all in this yeah, the I theme is entirely aesthetic like it's all just in the look and it has it's not really explored in the story yeah i think part of what makes 
Alien a better movie than this? Because Aliens is definitely the one that's weird from the three of these. Because Aliens has so much more action. There's a lot more chasing, a lot more running around and firing guns. Whereas Alien, they don't really have weapons. They're trying to fight this thing. They don't know where it is. There's just one of them. And that's all, those are all things it has in common with three. There's just one alien. They're running around this thing. They don't know where it is. It's, you know, jumping down from the ceiling and snatching people. And I, I understand that that is done for special effects budget is that it just, this thing just occasionally swoops in and picks somebody up. But like the result for me is that this is not in any way scary. There's very few scenes where the alien is not either bad CGI or only there for half of a second so that you can go, oh, oh, that guy's gone. There's really one scene where I'm like, oh shit, this is legit scary and there's an iconic visual happening. And it's the scene halfway through the movie when the alien um, swoops in, suddenly kills Charles Dance and we get that iconic moment of like the alien like two inches away from Ripley's face. Basically like, you know, tickling her ear with its little striker mouth. Um, yeah, like, that's the one scene that really freaked me out. Somehow that's Especially, a more disturbing visual than what actually happens, Emily. This, the suddenness, because while mean, I definitely missed charles dance for the rest of the movie like it worked so well like they set him up so much like he's the new hicks he's the new male lead he's the guy that listens to ripley and for him for it to just be so sudden halfway through the movie was such a perfect like oh shit like make me jump out of my seat moment yeah the the assembly cut and the theatrical cut of this movie the the versions are very very different the pacing is different the subject matter is different so i I think all of us but ben ended up watching the assembly cut i know i think the rest of us have have seen the the theatrical version at some point over the course of of many years i saw the theatrical cut in the theater and i'd seen it you know later on and i've seen the assembly cut a couple of times but i had reached out to jeremy earlier because i was like i don't know which one we're supposed to watch like but like Emily said, they are very, very different, even down to something as simple as in the theatrical cut, the um, Ripley and Hicks and Newt are found by uh, a bunch of the prisoners, whereas in the assembly cut, she is only found by the doctor. Yeah, and there's she's... also a, a very distinct difference in the setting, because you're talking about that claustrophobia. And in the assembly cut, Fury is a world like it has a beach and an ocean and they have oxen and they have a far, like they have all this other shit it, it the feels... distinct impression it is not a world that you want to be outside on for very long because it is yeah windy the and theatrical, shitty the theatrical guy is constantly talking about like it'll be negative 40 below yeah and so you know it sounds like there's maybe a small amount of time that the sun is visible and you could go out on the beach and a lot more distinguishable than the other two planets that have uh we visited in these films which are just basically like wind but um wind a fog machine and eventually some sort of alien thing the prison in the theatrical cut is where everything happens you don't really see much of the outside of it except for a few little interstitial cuts here in there of the like satellite dish and then furnaces and then there's this iconic image of the furnaces going out at the end which doesn't really feel like it's a thing other than you know it's happening and the music is cool uh, so erica this was uh this is one you chose because you wanted to watch talk about this one what is it about alien 3 that that appeals to you that made you want to talk about it i know that this film gets a lot of flack and i and i understand why absolutely but i think that there is a lot of very interesting 
points that they try to make that they don't necessarily like really hit the mark. But the idea of like we talked about the idea of sort of like the disposability of humans, you know, the being on a prison planet is the most disposable people that you could have. And all of these prisoners are not just like, oh, I'm a thief. I'm this. No, they are the worst of the worst of the worst. They are murderers. They are rapists. They are child molesters. And uh, Dylan, Charles, Charles S. Dutton's character even says, you know, like, we are not the type of people that you want to be around. You know, we are legitimately the worst human beings. And that's why they stuck us here. But there's a very interesting self-awareness about the prisoner characters that I find very interesting. They know what they are. They know what they're not. I think in, in either cut, I mean, obviously in the assembly cut, there are changes, especially with Gallic, who's the other, who's another prisoner who sort of has this interesting subplot going on, but they are given the opportunity for redemption and the vast majority of them take it. So I do like that idea of there being redemption, uh, even if you are like the, the ho most horrible type of person that you could ever be, uh, the idea of choosing to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I, that always sort of stuck with me that I really liked. And I liked the fact that Charles S. Dutton didn't, you know, he didn't rule with an iron fist, except for that one time when, you know, that one, it's, you know, incident that he comes in and he helps Ripley and beats the crap out of everybody. He hit some people with lead pipes. Yeah. 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 I, I love Dylan. Dylan is one of the strongest characters in the franchise without a doubt. Absolutely. I love, I like the fact though, that the way he, I'm not going to say rules because he doesn't really rule, but the way he commands the respect of his fellow inmates is through this idea of we can be, we are not going to be able to go into society and be normal people in society. But here in our environment that we control, we can be as good as we can be. I think it's, I think it's a shame that some of that gets cut out in the theatrical cut because mm -hmm. a lot of that is expressed in his first sort of monologue where, you know, he's, praying and, and talking to them and uh, you get to see sort of who he is to everybody else from the beginning. And yeah, I think like there's a lot of good stuff with the prison. I do think there's a little bit of like the script and the, the creators getting in their own way with it too, because it is a little unnecessarily complicated because she crashes on this planet Fury, which used to be a prison that may that mind lead and other stuff and it has since been closed but these prisoners are still there because they are a religious cult who said hey Wayland yutani let us go ahead and keep running this place and we'll uh we'll just stay here because we don't want to well, go to a different prison anyway there's they cut they say they all have yy syndrome yeah which so i looked up on the alien wiki and they're just like yeah it's like genetically just like super toxic masculinity just the yeah. most toxic of masculinity coursing through you so i feel like between this made-up sci-fi disease to be like no they're just genetically evil like can't be in society and like there's, there's science fiction to back that up and then voluntarily being there like, I feel like so much of the thematic weight that should be there from these prisoners is just like, it's just taken out from it by, it's like, well, it, well we're not really talking about the human condition because sci-fi thing. And we're not really adjusting how we treat prisoners because they're there voluntarily. 
Well, like, the, I just want to interject that the double qui- double Y chromosome thing is a real thing. There, you know, there there are people that have X Y Y chromosomes, so that gets a little bit problematic because you know they're yeah, not think, all. Well, that's the but this is this isn't again according to the Alien Wiki. This is like nope, no X chromosome at all. Yeah, this we is, don't care how physically impossible. Oh, is. they have y, they have y. a Y chromosome, and then their X chromosome is in some way mutated or deficient, so that they're just Y Y. Uh, which would, which only makes sense if they're either mutated or grown in a lab because you can't inherit Y chromosome from which, a female. Look, person. that sounds like the level of mastery over science that I've come to expect from the franchise that would one day give us Prometheus. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's, it is it uh, is a little bit easier to grasp than the wood planet. I will say one of my issues with the movie is that aside from Dylan, who is great a lot of the prisoners feel really interchangeable like they don't have the time to get to know him like we got an alien and they don't have that immediate in your face differing like personalities of the marines in aliens so i really like with most of the kills of this movie i mostly went like oh which like mean bald man was that like with like one through eight i don't know they're all interchangeable well yeah, I mean, they- aliens has, has the good sense to uh dust all the indistinguishable guys in the first firefight like i don't know like the frost who cares about frost this other guy let's get rid of him we're gonna save you know the the loud guy the guy who knows what he's doing and the you know guy who is uh, overranked because you know he came in as an officer. And, that and guy then, wears a hat. And then the yes, and then the That's cool like, chick. Okay. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna well, take all of them. I think had had is you know sort of had a a, a characterization. Yeah, that's what we're a saying. Troubling yeah. characterization. Yeah, yeah. Because they, we'll 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 talk about him as we go. They but, should uh, future do not be keep using IQ tests. It's a bad test. Yeah, first of all, and second of all, you know, like it would be really nice if they said at some point in the movie, there's no X chromosome involved because again, there's some that's bad. Let's let's go through this plot a little bit. So we begin the movie with the killing of a child and Hicks, our secondary hero from last thing, uh, mostly off screen uh, as the the ship is like they're killed literally while the credits are still rolling at the what beginning. What fucking and, and in a very unclear way. Makes. What yeah. an the first 15 minutes of this movie are nothing but, hey, did you like aliens and learn to love the characters? Well, fuck you. We're going to take the little girl and we're going to fucking just rip her apart. Her okay, dead so, body. Yeah, fuck you. Is more ballsy. So depending on which way you, which version of it you see, they either find Ripley on a beach. She's been like catapulted from this uh, thing into the ocean and has washed up and is just covered in like black mud. Which this is like it's heavy winds. This much have been held to film. And if I was fucking Sigourney Weaver and I discovered that this scene had been cut from the film after I went through filming it, I would be so pissed. Uh, She's also covered in sea lice. Yeah, this is where we see the lice. We see the oxen. We see the whole outside of the prison. Charles Dance is uh, Clemens is walking around outside of the prison, and all that shit gets cut in the theatrical version. Sigourney Weaver does do a very good performance. But you can also kind of tell how done with this she is. And one of her, the clauses in her contract to return as Ripley was, you better fucking kill this character off at the end of the movie. Resurrection. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know. <laughs> and that worked and out then, great. Yeah, and then resurrection happened. Yeah. God. I can just imagine was... her getting a call that's like, all right, we have a device. 
Oh that was one of the reasons they wanted three to focus on Michael Bean's character, where they're like, let's give her a little bit of time. We'll do it back to back. Like the idea was that they would do three starring Hicks and then four would go back to Ripley. Right. Yeah. Ripley is supposed happen. to be in, in a coma and gets shot off in an escape pod and, you know, has to come back in four. But yeah, that doesn't happen. Um, when See, I wouldn't give a introduced- fuck if it wasn't if Ripley wasn't there. Uh, some people who were very not happy about this decision. Uh, Michael Bean, real not happy about this decision. His franchise role got just got killed off in the first second of the movie. One of the original plans for again, this was now the David Fincher version. They're in active development on his version was that the alien was originally going to come out of Hicks and they had to get permission from him. And he was like, uh, no are you fucking kidding you kill me off and now you want to just make a fake me to have an alien come out of go fuck yourself yeah and, and apparently like, somebody accidentally told him about that which is yeah. the only reason that he came in and, and nixed the likeness rights for it and he's like now you can't can't fucking do that i'll sue you and yeah apparently carrie hen who you know was a child was fine with this she did not want to do any more movies anyway she will not would not do any more movies after this all michael bean would allow was them to use a picture of him and he made them fucking pay for it (laughs) apparently he made more money off of that picture appearing than he did off of aliens um (laughs) so good for him yeah Um, instead we're introduced to our new cast here uh which you know we talked about uh clemens who's charles dance he is the doctor on this place and then we have dylan who's played by charles s dutton who is, uh, he's also a convict, he's also a killer, but he is uh, sort of the preacher here. He's taken over leading this congregation and they've turned into sort of this, from, you know, super horny violent criminals uh, into this sort of quasi-Christian religious apocalyptic cult. And and it is out and out Christian. And he is, so Ripley has landed on this this place only full of uh, horny psychopaths and is entrusted to the care of Clemens who is theoretically not a horny psychopath, then, uh, you know, Newt's body is dragged out and I guess there's nothing There's nothing to show of the uh, the other body for the pre- not appearing cast member from Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Sir not appearing in this film. <laughs> Officer not appearing in this film. <laughs> yes, the, Corporal not appearing the, in this film. That's right. Got the on-field promotion. The, um, whatchamacallit, the autopsy in the uh, assembly cut you see like a new Ugh. child's body. Yeah. It was that scene was and so rough in the theatrical it's, cut. It's 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 rough no matter what, but I noticed and and this is something that I definitely recognized rewatching the um, assembly cut is that you see sort of a new child's torso as Ripley is, you know, doing her, you know, sort of, you know, feeling her glands, feeling her neck and you know, going down her chest, you see these like tiny child breasts which i thought was it was very uncomfortable for me that was either a that. horribly <laughs> awkward time for the casting department or the props department oh, no, either way prop. someone did not have a good time at work or it they was- did in which case we have to investigate them like seriously yeah well which is just too freaking weird maybe that is something that we put that is put in the trigger warning yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, good call. Yeah, I also was a yeah, little yeah. something. Yeah, because honestly, I think the child appears in the the you see like that with the gla- her touching the glass. All that that's in the theatrical cut as well. Yeah, yeah, weirdly, it it goes out of its way to show you them cutting the child open, to show you the child naked, 
but stops at showing you that there isn't an alien inside her. Charles Dance just sticks his hand in there and he's like, ah, everything's fine. What do you want? Uh, well, they just, show a, a was, really brief cut of the open chest. Yeah. Which is was, just like a some lungs or whatever, but it's, it's, it's very, very brief. Was anyone else delighted by just like the suave chemistry between Sigourney Weaver and Charles Dance? I guess. I mean, it, it was very British. Like I would watch a movie mm-hmm. starring them now today at their current ages where they're just like all like well-dressed and classy. Yeah, no, like they on were- On a cruise and they had I don't know, good- learning about Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and aliens. So we also have a superintendent of the prison whose job is to chew everybody out uh, and he chews out Clemens whenever possible. And he doesn't want to listen to Ripley and is very uh, worried and excited about the fact that when they uh, send a message about Ripley surviving the crash, that Waylon yutani is real excited to get somebody there to come uh, evacuate her. A thing that never happens. Apparently, anytime they send a message to Waylon yutani Waylon yutani uh, maybe acknowledges that they got it. They do not respond in any way. Uh, but this is becoming an increasingly big deal. Yeah, and... Uh, so they, they cremate Hicks and Newt, and uh, at the same time, version that's in the assembly cut, two of the inmates drag a dead oxen into one of the uh, slaughterhouses, like and they're they're cutting it up, or, or they're getting ready to cut it up, but they have to go to the funeral, so they leave it there for a while. Um, in in the theatrical cut, we get unfortunate dog death. But either oh, way, and this yeah. dog is like not dead beforehand, and is just like writhing in agony. Yeah, clearly distressed. And then you get its guts blown apart, which is the they use the same shot for the guts getting blown apart in both versions. Same shot of on that. Yeah. So the 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 dog is not in the assembly cut. There is no, no dog. dog. There's no spike, even though if you watch it on Prime, you will see subtitles for Murphy trying to locate Spike. And in the uh, theatrical version, you see Spike and he has the some sort of um, this like poor... remnant of the, the face hugger on his face. This is very adorable Rottweiler. This Don't worry, dog no gets face mauled and then ripped apart from the inside graphically while it whines and writhes. And it's horrible. And I hated watching it. And Imagine it's like, wow, what having a... filmed the scene with the oxen being dragged in and then being ripped open and being like, no, let's take that out and replace it with a horrible scene of a dog being ripped apart from the inside while still being alive. Yeah. Because um, the oxen did... is dead. And the indication that we get that it's been killed by the aliens is as they're leaving the room, one of the guys picks up a dead face hugger and is like, what's this? Uh, yeah. And throws it back down. <laughs> Which I think then, is kind of great. Yeah it, yeah, it fell off of the oxen as they were dragging it's, it. God, this scene, it should be beautiful. Again, it's Dylan reading this like impassioned eulogy talking about death and new birth and new life. So it's this funeral cremation intercut with this alien being born horrifically. But it's too horrifying because it's a dog and i hated it i i've seen that i mean when i first saw alien 3 i was a shitty teenager did not advocate any sort of animal violence ever in my life 
but I did get a little bit um because I, I I wrote papers on this movie both in, in high school the uh this on the theatrical cut I w- did not have access to the uh assembly cut at the time because it was 1990 the uh the dog death I got a bit incense desensitized to which um is is horrible but I do feel like that Dutton's speech felt more like profound because something really horrible like yes the kid was dying and yes it was you know but like we we saw newt go and we saw we see hicks's mummified body go or whatever dylan's speech felt a little bit more like intense because this really sad horrible thing was happening to it was it necessary no but i don't know like it it definitely affected me more in that version than the birth of the alien from the dead ox body i I think the dead ox scene works fine except for the cgi at the end of that scene is rough oh yeah it comes out and it you know the birth is like very well done obviously it's a puppet and like it's covered in goo and it's like all right that looks great and then it skitters out and it looks like it looks like the CGI from Resident Evil. Oh, it's like like normally using a combination of CGI and practical effects is a great strategy. It's what worked so brilliantly in Jurassic Park, except to hear the difference in quality between the practical and the CGI is just so canyon wide stark. The practical effect looks amazing it's as scary as the xenomorph has ever looked but the cgi is bad oof it's bad oof 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 like you know how when they put the when they're doing cgi and they they played it so it's almost as if they they when they rotoscoped the plate they didn't do it close enough because there's literally like a a yellowish bright stroke around it that like that makes it pop off of the you know it makes it look like it's in a separate plane yep see why they went so often with evil dead style first person xenomorph view which i did like when it was like spinning around where it's just like while the implication that while chasing it the xenomorph is just running up and down like the walls and ceiling like i thought that was cool and here's the thing is that the xenomorph looks so bad when when it when it's cgi the the outfit looks good and it's supposed to be a slightly different kind of xenomorph because you know at one in, in the theatrical version it it is born of a dog and this version is born of, a, of an ox so i think that that's sort of a nod to the fact that certain creatures can birth different kinds of xenomorphs or whatever which is is more explored in um in alien toys. versus predator 2 requiem i don't want to talk about the predalien the predalien's good no the predalien that's good but anyway Talking about the action figure line with the the bull alien and the snake yeah. alien and hell yeah those were rad. We, we talked about the theory when we were watching aliens the theory that there was supposed to be an animated alien series at some point because they created a whole so it's it's like this thing where like everybody involved is like oh no we were never going to do that but then there's like the aliens toys had all these like animated you know versions of the aliens and the the marines on them uh yeah. clearly for something other than just box art but like everybody has been like oh no that was never going to happen that's not a thing but you know it, it's pretty clear that they were meant for something it I mean, was like it the saban moon it seems ripe for a how they did an animated series of the 98 american godzilla movie 
where it's like, oh, a predator crashed on Earth, but he's a good predator who's here to stop all these other bad aliens that also like are loose on Earth. And I and this plucky teenager's got to team up with the predator to stop the worse aliens. This movie does fuck with the <laughs> alien canon, but I mean, what what doesn't? So moving on, but um, yeah. yeah so, so, but this is this is real quick. almost immediately dead, like backed up with the with Ripley deciding to sleep with Clemens almost immediately yeah. after this um, which is weird because I mean I don't know if I don't know if how sexy Ripley she's not like I mean except for that last scene of Alien it's not sexy Ripley and in this movie she on purpose they're, they're like you can't be sexy because if you are then all of the dudes will go crazy and they still do but they you know she shaves her head because of the lice but that she's also like wearing burlap sacks and shit but okay, this is the one Sigourney, movie they shave sigourney weaver's head and put her as a tank top to make her less sexy i know she looks fucking, more sexy fucking mission failed also the underwear that she wears from her her pod in the beginning fits that uh, unlike the first i mean I'm sure that the the Marines had underwear. They had better underwear. That's what that increased budget gets you. Anyway, now she's military a star. Gets underwear. The miners have to buy their own underwear. That's why hers didn't fit in the. the this first isn't one. her film debut now. Now she's Sigourney Weaver's superstar. She can like have it as a writer in her contract. Like you better fucking give me fitting underwear this time. This better cover my crack, especially with all these sea lice everywhere. Holy shit! <laughs> she fucks Ripley. Fucks in this movie. Yep. It's it's not really on screen, but it really? is Spend the first half Fox. hour talking about how dangerous all these men are and how much they want to fuck. And the first the first person that Ripley actually talks to, she's like, hey, do you think I'm attractive? Do you want to do you want a bone? And then yeah. they do. Ripley fucks out of boredom, want and mostly to deflect from an awkward conversation she doesn't <laughs> that- want to have. Correct. Like she's basically like, let's fuck so I don't have to talk about aliens, yeah. which I'm He's like, like, why did you make me cut that child open? And she's like, mm, do you want to fuck? <laughs> and he's like, well, shit, you got me. Like cutting a child open makes you think about having sex. Uh, I get it from Charles oh, Dance's point of view where he's like, oh. Like, That's a good point, Erica. Well, I have no. been on a planet full of, full of psychopathic men for all this time and I, yeah, this got, movie also I get why it worked but also it's charles dance so immediately afterwards he's like hey i am now clear-headed for the first time in years you were mega deflective back there yeah <laughs> yeah did you did you screw me just so you wouldn't have to answer my questions and then she's like i'm sorry um i gotta go um yeah well no yeah. she's like i have to well, get no, to work like, in the morning gotta get up what's early. up with your barcode and then he's like ah more sex <laughs> oh, i deflected the question yeah because he's like uh, i'm a doctor and she's like but you got a barcode like a prisoner and he's like hmm, well observed well Their later relationship is built yes. on withholding information and then revealing in dramatic monologues which ripley yeah. uh loses at this game because she never gets to reveal it yeah. Well, it reveals on the itself. I mean, too long. On. It kills him. Yeah, that happens at the same time that the uh, superintendent gets like straight up killed in the in the cafeteria in front of everybody. Where no, the funniest part of that is later when one of the prisoners is mopping up the blood. Oh, that's and so keeps good. looking up, waiting, like seeing if he's gonna get yeah, taken. There's so many great little subtle interactions with these characters, even though you can't tell them apart because they're all all sallow faced British men, except for the three black characters that die. I mean, Dylan lasts longer than anybody, almost anybody else. 
Yeah, um, and he has a chance, but then he's like, I gotta keep heroically sacrifices himself, which leaves the last one to be. I don't even know the name of that character. I think I, I looked it Riffraff. up in the credits. It's it's Morse. Yeah, oh, Morse. His name. He's more. I, had to look, I looked it up after was like that guy, you know. Yeah, um, they, oh. There's nothing special. Like you understand in Aliens exactly why it's Bishop, Newt, and Hicks that survived. There's no reason why this guy survived. Like in particular, like again, like all the little character arcs that Aliens was full of, like yeah. as with the Marines and all that. Like aside from Dylan, none of the prisoners get those arcs. Like this movie doesn't have like a Vasquez. Bill, oh no, my uh, my oh, brain Paxton. is going. Yeah, my brain is going real. Like, don't confuse Paxton and Pullman. You're confusing Paxton and Pullman. I fucked it up. It's like, Hudson. Hudson is the one. Yeah, like it doesn't have Hudson. It doesn't have Sarge. Like just all those characters with just enough distinction to still be memorable and have little arcs going. And these prisoners don't have that. No, and it's a shame too because you know there's a there were. This is also full of like British actors who are all classically trained and all they do is you have some of them are stuffy and some of them are like football hooligans like that's basically the two kind of dudes except for paul mcgann who is crazy and that's it this is where we we do get a little bit of backstory from clemens and it looks like he's gonna have an arc but he doesn't survive long enough to have an arc because like they he, he does tell her later that he got the uh, he got the barcode because he did kill a lot of people, but he killed them by being a doctor who was a drunk and subscribing, prescribing them the wrong amount of uh, painkiller and uh, accidentally killing a bunch of dudes. And that was that was why he got sent to prison. Uh, well, that's why he's being a doctor at a prison, because he would have had to go to it otherwise. Yeah, he is not a prisoner. He is one of the like he works for Wayland Utani. Like he was a prisoner, then he got out and he's like, Well, where can I get hired? He's like, shitty prisons, and that's it. He's like, okay. I love when Bishop is reactivated. And Bishop has like half a face. No that's way. like that's like, the next thing that happens here. Yeah. That. And the like, first thing he says is my legs hurt. <laughs> and no, I forget if that's right after or right before I like your haircut. Yeah, the, it's, so, he's such a good character. I love like even that brief bit of Bishop is so good. Yeah, Ripley well, decides that she wants to go find Bishop and gets gets sort of a an idea of where he is. Uh, so she has to go wandering by herself because uh, Clemens can't go with her. Uh, she gets here attacked and uh, almost raped by several prisoners. Uh, and Dylan shows up at the last second to fucking beat people with iron bars over the face. Later, they will claim that they have no weapons, but Dylan really knows how to beat some people across the face with a bar yeah and they show like he he lifts up the bar when he's like i gotta re-educate some of the brothers which is like so like his delivery is just like he picks up the the lead pipe that he's been beating the shit like repeatedly beating one of these guys with and there's like brain matter on it and i'm like are you gonna kill them but then they're all fine so i'm like but yeah that's the everything can you tell my biggest problem with this movie maybe especially in like the last 10 minutes is there are too many guys there are exactly there are too many bald white guys in this movie if they had just cut half of them like i like the deaths don't even matter at that point they're kind of dying off screen and screaming it's like tattoos on their faces or something we do get down we get more information about each one and then they're not just anonymous yeah, like I couldn't keep count. Like it never, it like in Alien, there's this palpable sense that the crew is getting picked off one by one, and it's just like becoming more and more alone and isolated. 
And none of that feels like that because they could potentially have two bald British men left or they could still have like 20 bald British men left. I don't fucking know. They're all just they're just dying like they're dying like Star Trek red shirts, like as needed for properly timed thrills and kills. I mean, I, th- I think it works a little bit better in the theatrical cut. And, you know, when I was doing papers about it, I would talk about um, assimilation into like, you know, male dominated or toxic masculine society and all this kind of stuff. And and feminism that was go- the, the commentary about toxic masculinity, even though I didn't have the terms at the time, but it was about Ripley trying to exist in this community that was not they say they were they would tolerate the intolerable but they're definitely incredibly xenophobic and they say yeah. that at the beginning and you know when that they say is a theme the intolerable they mean themselves yeah themselves. yeah which is it, it's it comes off really interestingly too with this with that bit with dylan where ripley who like they say i'll tolerate the intolerable and ripley's like Th- thanks with them be feeling interchangeable is why this whole why why sci-fi thing is such a mistake because one of one of the easiest ways to have differentiated them is just give them different backstories like why are they here what got them sent to this place like branding someone a criminal is one of the best ways for a society to declare a human being to be disposable and less than human that fits to the themes what are the various things that in the society can get someone thrown away by that and because of that why why thing like there's no nuance to it or variety to it it's across the board just like no uh toxic masculinity chromosome made me a murder rapist goes for everyone like we're all just murder rape that's us we all, we all committed murder rape we're all like we all did the same thing for the same reason yeah murder rape in the first degree that was, it's a missed opportunity for storytelling because i mean you have a prison full of criminals and obviously everybody's got some crazy ass story of being there and i even thought like the doctor's story was kind of weak i mean that might just be me coming from hannibal lecter territory when you know when you have a doctor in a prison he's like some fucking hannibal lecter psychopath i mean he gets the beginning of a story and i think there's two ways you can go with that either you know he can fill that story out or in this case since he's like the one that Sigourney, that Ripley is hanging on to at this point, the one mm-hmm. guy that she can trust, having him like ripped away in the middle of his story kind of works for me because it's not really his story. It's her story. I agree right. with that. I agree. Like the movie does such a good job getting you used to his presence in the film. And as her companion, to have him so violently and suddenly ripped away is so effectively unsettling and sets you off guard for the rest of the movie. Yeah, well, he does have a flavor, unlike most of the other characters, except for, like, Dylan. Yeah. It's, like, they all Dance flavor. Again, it's, huh. it's Charles Dance, and it's Dylan, and it's Sigourney Weaver, and that's it. And it's not like the first two where it's like, wow, this whole cast is bringing it. There's nobody that isn't memorable or doing what they need to do. This is a pretty large cast with three memorable roles. I think, so this is the point where we get Bishop back for a brief moment. She finds what's left of Bishop, yeah. hooks him up to the uh, shipboard computer so that you can find out what actually happened on there. He confirms that there was in fact a face hugger uh, on the ship and there was an alien on the ship, but uh, he also confirms that the company knows that because all of his, in, all the information that the ship takes in goes back to the company. Um, mm-hmm. So she knows that, you know, that's what they're really coming for. 
she needs to get rid of that thing. She can't let them take it because they'll just you know, take it and make more of them. But meanwhile, uh, it's already happening. The alien is uh, attacks uh, one Waits. of the many guys who is who is mopping in the hallway. Uh, okay, who thinks he might be the dog that doesn't exist in this story, and then he gets thrown into a fan where he fucking explodes. It's not well, even that. This fast. man doesn't just fall into it. He gets hit with some acid blood and then rolls like 10 feet to the left. Like I was looking, I was trying to figure out the geography. Is there a slope? Is there an incline? I don't think there is. I think this man just did a whole bunch of somersaults directly into a fucking fan. Yeah, dude, this wasn't like the Hellraiser 2 Hellbound situation with girl being like sucked inside out from her skin. This is like, he slowly crept toward the fan that was not going very fast. But I, I really need to turn up the fan or the fan to be made of like energy beams or like, yeah, some this is an, covered in spikes. This is a video game insta kill fan because, like you said, Jeremy, this man explodes. Yeah, yeah it's he's some like Mortal Kombat blended. level shit. Like, that thing this is not, him, oh, and pieces of him go flying all over the place. Like, yeah, this and is not straight like, up clean him up with a bucket. We see him and a fan blade is just like sticking through him or he has been cut in half. Like, no, there is no part of this man that is in any way solid. Yeah, this they have man his is boot. giblets. Yeah, like the, they have to recognize his body by his boot. Yeah, I, I was going to say the boot thing because they say to Clevin, he says, it's Murphy. He says, how do you know that's his boot? Yeah. This slow moving fan that this man very rolled 10 feet out of his way to fall into. This puppet that they have for Lance Henriksen Bishop is a puppet because it has half of his face missing and it is one of the most incredibly stellar special effects I've seen in film. Yeah, oh yeah. That this, is wonderful. The 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 micro expressions, the weird like the milky eyeball, like everything is so incredible. And this whole scene is really incredible because Bishop is still Bishop, but then there is this like heart-wrenching uh conclusion to it where he's like, like I'm can useless. you go ahead and unplug me now because i hate this <laughs> he's like yeah, please I, let I, me I, die face just let me be no nothing <laughs> please make sure that nobody puts me back online because this is bad between yeah. this and ian holmes ash when there's like half an ash at the end like this series continues to do smashed robot people effects so what's wild what's wild is this series is about aliens and they seem to be pretty (laughs) bad at doing alien special effects but they're great at doing robot men and like they just show up once they show up once per movie i mean they do robot robot special effect and then (laughs) By Prometheus, the robot man is clearly the protagonist of the franchise. The alien and alien was fantastic. It was barely kind of, it was always their kind of suggestion or it was coming in from, you know, it was either like vague or really tight close up. Yeah, like great moments where like when the captain is going through the ventilation shafts and you get the xenomorph for like literally a frame of film jazz hands yeah like he's giving well again if the if they had lingered on it for even like a second more it would have like it might have it probably would have looked real silly but because (laughs) you just get that flash of it it still manages to just be like fucking terrifying the thing is this movie wants to do that it wants to be alien 
but it can't figure out the the lighting and the tension it never works quite the way it's supposed to even like the sudden deaths that we get don't don't quite work i mean this like we said this death with the fan does not work uh <laughs> so shortly after this this is the the bit with gullick so it's it basically doesn't exist in the theatrical cut. So Gullick is Paul McGann's character. Uh, and we've been introduced to him as part of the group. But specifically, these other guys don't want to work with Gullick because he's crazy and smells bad. Dutton There's always that one to... co-worker. <laughs> yeah, Dylan is like... And if you're wondering who that co-worker is at your workplace, I got some news for you. Oh, no. Yeah, Dylan is you like, know. he's your brother. We all did crazy shit to get here. You got to work with him. And so they all go down into the mines. It's a little unclear to me why they're here, but they're like searching. So they're uh, they're lighting candles and they're getting blown out by something that they don't see. And then Golik watches as this thing uh, shows up and murders both of the other two people he's there with. Uh, and he takes off uh, covered in blood and they will later find him enjoying some soup in the cafeteria. Um, after he's... Yeah, he's just... Very yeah, excited I didn't get about any soup. Palm again eating soup. <laughs> I was very excited well, about that fucking. I feel soup. cheated about. Paul. I didn't get like I want Palm again eating soup. He's yeah. He's he's got lines. He's all over this movie. Where's, where's that eighth Doctor Radio <laughs> drama, which is twenty minutes of uh, the Doctor having a nice clam chowder? <laughs> Imagine a radio drama of somebody eating clam chowder. It's just- Oh, the no. literally the worst audio drama. <laughs> if you subscribe to our Patreon. We can do it for you, though. That has to be like ASMR for sickos. Premium members. They're not sickos. They're premium. Yeah. Listen, we all we welcome all types. The one my character Gullick in the in the assembly cut. There's this interesting thing where when he watches his two friends get murdered by the xenomorph, there's this fascination that he has, and there's he's almost like. I don't, I, I'm not saying he's turned on, like physically turned on, but there's this like, you know, euphoria almost with all the blood Yeah. that in that later on, he almost feels as if it was almost like to me, it almost felt like Renfield from uh, Van Helsing, mm-hmm. you know, like he goes to try and release the um, uh, what he calls the dragon, which I love. Yeah, he calls it a dragon, and Ripley's immediately like, shit, I know what that <laughs> is. They haul Gullick off to the uh, med bay, and they haul Ripley there, too. She's talking to Clemens, not telling him about the xenomorph. Meanwhile, the xenomorph is descending from the ceiling and onto a bed to creep around the room a bit first, uh, where Gullick sees it and is like, oh, oh here it goes. And in the, the middle dragon. of their conversation, Stryker heads its head right through our, our good doctor's head and uh, drags him up through the ceiling. Uh, bef- before he does that, though, he opts not to attack Ripley. He gets real close to Ripley and smells Ripley and gets his little second mouth right up in her face. And then it's like, mm, if there is any image from Alien 3 that you recognize from just the internet and pop culture, it is that image. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is kind of the most iconic scene, really or at least the, the iconic image of, of the movie. In there too. Oh, and they're so drippy. Yeah. So drippy. Yeah. Yeah. They, they. This is like, this scene is what the alien should be like for the whole movie. Because you get like the full on puppet, you get the head like real close to hers with the mouth coming out. And it's like, oh, this is great. 
And then that's not the alien you see for most of the rest of the movie. No, it's when it's good, it's so good. And when it's bad, it is yikes. It's strings. It really is. Like you've got like the really great practical puppetry and then the really awful CGI. And I, I do wonder how much of this stuff they thought like, oh, that looks great at the time. Like in the 90s, they yeah. were like, oh, that's great special effects. And now we look at it and, you know, 1080p and we're like, hmm, that looks real bad. Yeah. Uh, like, so I appreciate them wanting to do something different and be like, it's bipedal. It's faster. It's different. But it's just, oh, it looks so bad. It just looks bad. Good idea. Not so good execution. They they fall a bit short of that. I mean, I like the idea of this sort of crawly, creepy, crawly alien. And I think it's very, you know, true to the. To, to make it a little bit more animalistic, it's very true to the uh, the intent of um, the aliens. But this movie is not about the alien. The yeah, alien is as, as noted by the title, um, <clears throat> which is false advertising because there's only one alien in this movie. Uh, Ripley takes off running. Uh, is trying to tell everybody else about this. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. the uh, the warden is having a whole conversation with everybody about how uh, people people are dead, and it's just uh, them, you know, screwing around too much. So they need to chill out. And Ripley's like, no, there's definitely an alien on here that's killing people. And he's like, shut up, woman. You're real annoying. At which point the alien dips out of the ceiling and rips the warden off into the ceiling. And that's the last we see of him. So that is one change in this movie from the first two in that the plot is not caused by people failing to listen to Ripley. This man this is the plot only one is... who fails to listen to Ripley. And um... the, the cons and like... He doesn't get to put that not listening into action. He has killed too fast. He could have said, great call, Ripley. Let's do it. And he still would have died like the same way regardless. It would have been nice if they explored the, the like they have so much, so many characters. They could have explored the, the dynamic of these characters. They touch on that, but it doesn't really stick. It doesn't really feel like it has any yeah. weight. Also, this warden is way more interesting and fun than 85. So... His name, I believe, is Aaron in the movie. Yeah. Um, They call him 85 throughout because he uh, they say at one point one of them got a sneak peek at his uh, at his uh, dossier and his uh, IQ score was on there for some reason. And it's 85. And they proceed to call him by this the whole time, which is like, oh, fuck that movie. Uh, It doesn't make any sense. And also it's fucked up. I do have to say one thing. Um, there's technically two aliens in the movie. Yeah, that's true. That's just... true. Which is that's interesting. Crazy. Like it should be, but technically two. Well, Unless honestly, you count the face I mean, hunter as a separate. Aren't we all aliens on this planet? Like, isn't Ripley an alien? You know. That's a good point. That's a good thing that you brought up, Jeremy. Because at <clears> one point, the doctor mentions that their indigenous population doesn't really sit well with some different shit happening or whatever. And I'm like, excuse me, sir, that word you just used. I don't think it means what you think. I don't think it means what you think. Yeah. Like there's nothing about y'all in this, on this planet full of lice and wind and cold that is indigenous, except for maybe the lice that is on your body. But at this point, in this where we're left with the question of who's in command because Aaron should be in command but nobody respects him Dylan is the one everybody looks to but he doesn't want to be in charge and Ripley is the only one who knows what's going on 
but is still being cagey about it at this point. And finally is like, all right, guys, this thing's going to fucking kill all of us. We got to do something about it. You don't have any weapons. You don't have any way to kill it. So we got to figure out something. So they decide uh, to decide. Ripley's utter exasperation at being told that there's no weapons. <laughs> and I think most of this stuff is actually missing from the theatrical cut. The theatrical cut, if I'm not mistaken, is that they come up with this plan to get the alien in this uh, chamber where they keep like chemicals and stuff that has no way out, is secured from the outside. Um, so they're going to they're going to chase no, it in still there. In it. That's still in there. Um, but, but I think in the theatrical version, they they miss their chance because the flare yeah, goes they, off. They, they fuck up. Uh, the alien grabs one of the interchangeable growly British men, uh, which may and he drops his flare and boom, big explosion, which kills some indiscriminate number of more bald British scowly men. Again, they don't matter. And I feel nothing at this explosion that kills off however many of them the movie thinks is going to impress me. It sets people very on fire. At least in the second film, they all had their names on their shirts. Yeah. They were all military, so or they had their names on their helmets. Even just like, man, them having no hairstyle differentiation. Like this movie's, they wear the same thing. This movie's given us nothing to help. White dudes with blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah, they make like, the mistake of one of the first one of the first like generic guys at the prison that they kill off is the other black guy. And it's like, well, at least I knew who he was because he's the other black guy. Like it's the black guy that's not Dylan. Um, well, there's the that guy, and then there's the the other other black guy that is that is keeping watch on the toxic waste chamber that they've trapped the alien in who gets yeah. immediately killed by Paul McGann. And I guess he I must was, be he must mysteriously disappear in the theatrical cut as well. Yeah. I was um, able to recognize when Peter Postlewaite was on screen because I'm like, oh, it's that guy, Peter Postlewaite, who according to the credits plays David Postlewaite, implying that his character is a descendant of himself. <laughs> There's some in the longer cut, they do trap the alien in this room after they accidentally set themselves on fire and he is locked up and everything's good. So Sigourney Weaver decides that she is going to go lay in a bed for a while and get tested for alien. Um, well, actually she decides she's going to get tested for whatever's wrong with her. Cause she's coughing all over the place and gradually looking worse and worse. Uh, or at least we're told she's looking worse and where she basically looks the same. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Sigourney Weaver is nothing less than flawless this entire film. Yeah. Yeah. She looks really so, good. Yeah, one of the guys sacrifices himself to get the alien in there. He locks himself in there with the alien. And uh, they all, they leave one guy in charge of minding the door and everybody else goes off to do their own thing. Ripley gets Aaron to come with her so uh, he can see her scan and tell her what's going on with herself. And uh, he's like, hey man, it looks like you got one of those things in you. Is that a thing that happens? Because like that <laughs> seems like what's going on with this is that thing i saw downstairs there's like one in you and she's like that's fucking impossible it's like no that's that's what happens did Um, anyone else find this like medical screen impossible to follow it at (laughs) one point you can actually see that inside of her i don't know yeah it and once they do show it like it's very clear what it is and it's you know it looks kind of like the queen alien from the the second one flat thing but going like, on the, the rest of the scanning it's just there's not like discernible organs inside of ripley no. she's just it's just weird see-through just shit full of indeterminate goo Blames. things <laughs> yeah organic 
Yeah. I keep yeah. expecting David Bowie to drift by through the middle of the scan, you know, whatever it is. But no. And she just resigns herself to immediately. She's just like, well, this might as well happen. End of the road for old Ripley. Yeah, she's Which, she's ready. She's ready to kill herself right off the bat. What a tragic, like, this woman just fucked over by this goddamn company again and again and again. Though I guess they don't go out of her their way to explicitly fuck her over. They just take advantage of luck fucking her over well that i mean they did explicitly fuck her over in the second one yeah Yeah, i mean insofar that everything that happens in three is still a direct extension of what happened in two it's still his fault yeah it's still this this is still all paul riser's fault but insofar as these are indeterminate (laughs) movies and i'm a dumb dumb audience person who can't connect things thematically or mentally i mean considering the difference between this movie and aliens that isn't it is hard to draw the the line between like you know can make the connection between them because they're so different i mean again it is i like this movie it's a good movie but wow what a bitter pill to swallow like hey you know the thing ripley spent the entire like movie like saving new like moved heaven on earth like went to all these insane lengths in order to save this girl didn't fucking matter yeah fuck you didn't matter she fails i don't know why you couldn't make this same movie with the same conclusion and still have hicks and newt in it like i don't it doesn't make sense for me uh especially newt i mean there's no reason that Newt can't be in this movie. And it would make more sense for, you know, Charles Dance to be chasing her around as while Ripley, you know, disappears to go do whatever Ripley's doing. Yeah, so while this is happening, back at the uh, back at the secure alien holding facility, our, our buddy Golik uh, has decided that he's going to let the beast out. He gets somebody to let him out of his straitjacket uh, and then kills him and then goes to the uh, alien holding facility and kills the guy guarding that and then opens up the place and is like come on out buddy it's you're you're the best you're the best guy you should come kill everybody and he of course the alien of course celebrates his freedom by killing Golik. um yeah i am sad i missed that i would have liked to see that so is there in the assembly cut is there still the flare explosion that kills an indiscriminate number of people yes so the, pretty much everything except for the dog is in the assembly cut and it's just, you know, extended. And well, there is one other big difference, which is at the very end of the movie. And we'll get to that. Oh, um, yes. I, Erica, yes. Did you, you had something you wanted to add? No, I was just going to say, like, there's a very strange admiration that Gullick has for the alien. Almost it, it, the, these words never come out of his mouth, but. I kind of felt as if he was almost like, teach me your ways, you know, yeah. like when he, op- when he opens the door, it's almost like, teach me your ways. Oh, master, you know, kind of thing. And there was like, <laughs> again, not having seen any of this because it wasn't in the theatrical cut. Uh, I really like the idea of this concept. It very much reminds me of Ash's admiration for uh, the Xenomorph in the first movie. And to me, it kind of harkens back to the this feeling you haven't seen since like the beginning of the first movie when they're on that crazy ship that this is not just a dangerous, scary creature from space. This is something otherworldly beyond our understanding and maybe even worthy of worship in a dark god kind of way yeah and i always thought that was so cool the first one and it feels like that this year with this plot line in the third is like the the only time when like 
that kind of angle comes back into play. Yeah. yeah. His admiration is very much like Ash's, uh, you know, it's a perfect killing machine. And it's, it's more aspirational, I think, for Gullick um, than, you know, what it is for Ash. And I think it also reminds me, this scene reminds me a bit of like Muldoon in Jurassic Park, where uh, he doesn't say, he doesn't say clever girl, but, you know, there's few, well, uh, a few places as great as that. That's film. the thing about Gullick is that he's also just like a little golem crazy person like he's just you know like ah, tell me what you know master's good to us and then when he lets the alien out he asks it what should i do now and he immediately gets killed which is i, I feel like that is a it was a cool idea again it's one of the many things in this movie that i feel doesn't really doesn't isn't really explored yeah that that should have a little bit more impact but you know there's a history uh, of that with paul mcgann you know so uh, Paul McGann's gone. We're down to, at this point, the only people that matter are Aaron, Dylan, and Ripley. Aaron gets a, a message from Waylon Yutani that they got all the information from that scan, and they're really excited. Uh, make sure you hold on to Ripley, because we're super into to getting a hold of her. And, and then also, to... they they've have denied permission for them to terminate the alien and the... Uh... In the toxic waste room ripley is begging for for dylan to kill her dylan is not going to do this the only way he agrees to kill her is if he helps if she helps him get rid of this other alien so that he can save his flock um so they decide they're going to get everybody together and they're going to go down into the forge and they're going to pour hot lead on this alien and that's going to kill it because they don't have any other weapons so they're just going to like run through these tunnels and make it go to the forge uh so that they can let it they can fill it full of lead boy it gets real weird and confusing here for a while because there are a lot of guys running through hallways and they're doing a lot of first person stuff with the xenomorph which is a great idea that doesn't really work because all of these guys are indistinguishable and all these hallways are indistinguishable and we don't know where anything is and there's no sort David... of like cutaway map sort of thing no um and you know i think fincher does a real good job making an underground prison which could be really boring into like an overall pretty visually diverse and interesting setting but man does he kind of run into a wall with all these fucking hallways and so doors closing to i don't know where just i don't understand this plan and it seems to kill everyone involved and neither do they like nobody understands what's going on yeah and they just shout out random things like door b26 is closed door a f whatever is closed like and you're like that none of those things mean anything yeah, yeah are like you in b no e yeah, like, like the plan to- is to shut it into a smaller and smaller area and push it towards the thing but we don't have a map we don't know where this stuff is i can't keep track of any of it and you know everybody is dying basically by the time they actually get the thing to the lead mold it's down to dylan ripley aaron and morse who is one of the white guys who's been running around <laughs> he's just the one that happens to survive for by by no real uh providence of his own it's like a scooby-doo scene with everybody going in and out of doors yeah in this hall aaron isn't down here he's busy greeting the uh makamaks from Waylon yutani who have showed up to uh go ahead and get this alien and ripley and and take them out of here he's leading them a march down to uh the lower levels of this prison which would be more effective if we had any idea where anything is in this prison can i just say one thing if you notice when he leads them through the cafeteria the giant like there is no semblance of blood anywhere. Like the cafeteria is like super crisp and clean. So whoever mopped up after the warden got killed 
they can clean my house. Yeah. Did a great They'd job. probably be funny as long as they're not like, you know, that a guy with the mop did one hell of a job. Well, these guys, they they chose to stay and be custodians this place. You know, they do have like this this religious community and their religion is is essentially yada yada yada, but um Christianity. Their religion yada, is yada, yada. Jesus is coming to us in space any minute now. Space Jesus is coming. They don't um, say Jesus, they just say God. There's no Jesus from what I could tell. I mean, I'm sure there's a Jesus-esque, but they don't, they do not use the J-Man's name. All right. I'm, I'm not sure one way or another. God or yeah. That kind of yeah. very generic. Our yeah. specific space God. Well, uh, the doctor does specifically say that they are a, a uh, Christian apocalyptic military or paramilitary cult or something like that. But he, he does use the word Christian. I don't remember if they actually say Jesus or Christ at any point. But there's a lot of pray. There's a lot more praying in this cut than there is in the theatrical cut. They seem to get rid of a lot of that. It's down to Dylan and Ripley and Morse. Morse goes up. Ripley's coming up behind him. Dylan's supposed to be behind her. And uh, Dylan's like, ah, I got to keep this alien down here so it doesn't just follow you guys up. So I'm going to stay down here and wrestle this alien, I guess. Well, there's um, an important part of Dylan and Ripley's relationship, which is Dylan has promised Ripley that he Ripley that he will kill her uh, once this is over. And she even makes sure it's like, hey, you're going to kill me, right? He's like, yeah, totally. And then like two minutes later, he's like, yeah, you're on your own. I'm going to do the sacrifice thing. The one question I have with this is uh, why does Ripley seem to think it's going to be so hard to die in this place? Because there's a lot of people dying in here. It's real easy. There's a lot of like space junk here. She uh, says yeah. she can't kill herself, but when push comes to shove, she really has no problem doing a full on Terminator 2 into that like molten lead. For real. That that I do think it would have been pretty great if she had also gone out with a <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> Except to be down because James Cameron. To like a full pike <laughs> to a nice they, twist off of the board yeah they've they've established that the alien is protected of, of protective of her because when she can't seem to get the alien to to she can't lead the alien she tries to pull it by his tail which i kind of wish it, she actually managed that because that visual is just the best but once dylan like holds her and she struggles then the alien recognizes that she's in trouble and then it gets agitated she's trying to get to a point where they can kill the alien protector. I don't know. I mean, this foundry is not OSHA compliant by any means. I mean, yeah. again, it's disposable prison labor, which boy should have should have been a theme of the movie. It was they just, just pour like, hot lead all over Dylan and on the alien, and the alien just jumps on out of there. He's fine with having some hot lead on him. And they that should have been a scary moment. The alien, like molten lead, not even phasing this alien, but they went back to the CGI for yeah. it. And it's like trying to climb up only after Morris screams, like it's molten, you know, like, you know, pull the fire hose kind of thing. Then it ex literally explodes. Yeah, the, the pressure change. Yeah, if you've, um, ever, if you've ever been dumb it? enough to throw hot water on your iced window, you know exactly what happens to this alien. It shatters. Although when you do it to your windshield, your windshield does not blow in different directions. It just sort of cracks and falls in. Jeremy, um, what's what's an iced window? I live in California. I'll explain it to you someday, Emily. Okay. I, I'm under the blanket. Is that what happens when the temperature goes below 30? I hear that happens in places. I mean, there are certain parts of San Francisco that it's certainly that, oh, yeah. <laughs> that cold. We get it, California. 
Wasn't it Walt Whitman who said the coldest winter I ever had was this summer in San Francisco? Mark Twain. Uh, yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, so the, the alien shatters, Ripley and Morse are, you know, up on this uh, moving crane arm above the thing, and they they get to the uh, the bridge out, and all the Wayland yutani guys are there with Aaron, and uh, Bishop is there, but it's not Bishop, it's Bishop's creator, because apparently he goes by the same rules as data uh where every every robot he creates just looks like him how ego like how egocentric do you have to be like how like narcissistic do you want to see yourself everywhere that's a good question too and i mean dr sung definitely was crazy into himself he was he was fucking madman and wayland now here's the thing in the film paul ws anderson's alien versus predator or aliens versus predator or whatever wayland is played by lance hendrickson and this is in like 2000 and and they go to like a temple in antarctica or some shit it's like some thing shit and then they're like you know because you know we're white and we're just so obsessed with ancient maya they were also predators or something which is like come on wayland is there and i think he has kids so now i'm trying to figure you out mean charlie's theron and peter <laughs> wayland as he was always meant to be portrayed by guy pierce in crazy old man makeup there was some dilution of the lance henriksen genes but then apparently those were kept on ice because this ancestor of wayland if if it is. I mean, he does bleed. His ear almost falls off, but he does bleed blood and not milk. So I assume that he's not a droid or not a weird like blood droid as opposed to a, a milk droid. I'm not I'm not a you know, I'm human like I'm not a robot kind of thing. Yeah, he says that a lot, but I think he protests too much. He also really does this. Uh, the dumbest thing I've ever heard where he's like, they thought you'd like to see a friendly face. Like, no, that's fucking creepy that you look like the robot that she knows. Like, she was already, like, this robot was her exception to the I fucking hate robots rule. And you look like him, which means you're a robot and she doesn't like you. Even just beyond the robot thing, it's like, oh, they thought you might like a friendly face. Like, if someone from a company showed up looking like your dead, like your dead friend. How is that not so much more disconcerting? Yeah, that's like straight up. Like, that's like, we are manipulating you. Would you like to be manipulated today? Great trauma. Like, that's so much more unsettling that you're just like, we just thought we'd put on a good old skin face mask. But the Yutani guys with their mirror shades? To put you at ease for your benefit. I'm sorry, the the guys in plastic with mirror shades and the giant fucking camcorder. One of them is recording this. Uh, they're all trying to talk Ripley into go ahead and just letting them go ahead and cut that alien thing out of her. You know, it's going to be better for everybody that way. They can study it and that way they know how to fight them, which is definitely not what's going to happen. Uh, he lies to her face. He's just like, we're going to kill it. Yeah, no, we, we can't let it live. We're totally on your side. Let's let it get it out of you there, which, which you'll survive. And then we will kill this alien queen. Pinky promise. And she's like, where's my proof? And he's like, you're gonna have to trust me and she's like Aaron decides to uh uh be a good guy and not a corporate stooge at the last moment and tries to provide some cover for her to run away and gets immediately shot by uh these scientists um he gets shot more than Sylvester McCoy does and they get back on the crane over all the uh, metal works Ripley's like hey buddy I need you I need you Morse to do one last thing for me at which point they shoot Morse in the knee 
uh, from doing nothing. But he moves the he moves the crane over their furnace, and uh, Ripley uh, does a whole backward swan dive into the furnace. And depending on which version you're seeing, something different happens here. If you're watching the version uh, with the assembly cut, she just dives into a bad special effect. Um, yeah, but she is still just Ripley choosing to dive backwards off of this thing at this point. Uh, if you're watching the theatrical cut, the alien bursts out of her chest as she's diving backwards, making her sacrifice not really much of a sacrifice. Like, cause it's like, oh, of course you were going to die anyway. Why not just follow? Yeah, apparently you had seconds. Otherwise, the alien queen was like, ah, it's feeling hot in here. I better get out now. I mean, you could also see that as like she did it just in time because otherwise the bad guys would get it. But again, it doesn't. It doesn't. And it's so slow-mo. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, it's, it's her. She's in slow-mo, but the alien kind of isn't, which. Yeah. And like she's like wrestling with it while she falls into what is, again, one of the worst fucking green screen, just like explosion floors. Yeah. It's like it's awful. The special effect of her falling off of this is less believable than Hans falling off of the building in Die Hard, like, which happens significant, which happens before this. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they, they, I don't know, it's bad. The special effect is I bad. I love the cremation cuts. scene, the cremation funeral earlier in the movie. That's wonderful. And then this is Zack Snyder level slow mo on a, co- on a, like, a college student level green like a screen. TikTok. Effect. Yeah, it, it might as well be a weather forecast for as well as the green screen is done. So they it's it's you spend so long doing n- nothing is happening, but you just watching this have this effect in slow motion. Yeah. And she's just it's just like her going like, ah, ah. I know this is an audio medium, but I'm doing like a thing where I'm flailing my arms like I'm pretending that I'm falling. And then um, and then the alien comes out and it's it's kind of like. The seated space balls. Like, <laughs> it is. It is. It's the level of it's like, like. Hello, my honey. Hello, my swing time gal. <laughs> yeah. Although this time it's not actually William Hurt. Although William, William Hurt may have been there. Who like uh, there were so many sallow-faced British men. He could have been there in the right background, in. being like, <laughs> and then yeah. Anyway, it, it, it's all like. I wouldn't harp on this effect so much if the movie didn't linger on it for so long. Yeah. The movie, like, again, we're getting the somber music, the somber, like, crucifix, like, self-sacrifice pose, and then we're also getting slow motion wrestling with the alien baby bursting out of her chest mid-fall. It's fucking wild. Yeah, which and is, then, if nothing else, this is the reason I'll defend the assembly cut because she just dives into the lava. There's no fucking alien trying to come out of her as she's doing it. She just dives into the lava with the knowledge that there is an alien inside her, which is enough reason for her to do it and sacrifice herself without it actively coming out of her while she's yeah, going down. It coming yeah. out mid-fall, my reaction isn't like, Oh, look at Ripley's sacrifice. It's like, wow, fucking nailed the timing on that one. Like, good thing you <laughs> did what you did when you did it. And then worked, we have that worked out. This super dramatic, like, pan out as they're like pulling Morse out of there. And then, like, the furnaces go out and everything's empty. And then we go back to the ship and we hear Ripley's first distress call 
on the ship, even though I don't know why, but it's like, you know, this is Ripley signing off. Closing out the Ripley story, which I mean, would be great if that's what it did. (laughs) But she shows up again in the next one. Yeah. I mean, clearly this whole, this whole series from this point on is going to follow Danny Webb, who's playing Morse. That's what the series is going to be about from now on. Oh like, yeah, he's not just going to disappear and never matter at all, despite being the only survivor from this prison. Well, he's clearly a character that was as memorable and as beloved as Newt Hicks and Bishop from Aliens, right? I mean, he's definitely not going to appear several years later in Pennyworth as John Ripper. Yeah, Guys, okay, there I'm you go. That was at, a joke I was going to make. I'm looking at the cast from Prometheus. It is stacked. How is a cast this good in such a wildly bad movie? Prometheus is like at least I don't know like I like this movie's aesthetic better but Prometheus Prometheus is at least like sort of a story like there's sort of a story there singular vision yeah it does have a singular yes yes (laughs) I don't know how much but I I have an important question yes Erica how how do you think this movie deals with uh mental illness and physical disability um, I think this film Sorry. really doesn't do such a great job uh, because, especially with the character of Gallic, they're just like, he's crazy. He, and, and we're all crazy here and everything. And there's also, and, and the idea of this sort of double Y chromosome, um, this this idea of like, we're just born bad. We're born evil seed, you know, the bad seed kind of thing. Um, and then, I mean, if you, the way they talk about... Um, uh, what's his name that they refer to as 85? Aaron, thank you. Um, you know, he obviously, if his IQ really is 85, then he's, you know, mentally deficient in some way or another, although we all know that those numbers mean absolutely nothing. Indeed. Uh, so, you know, the way that he's treated as a pariah by his, by the, you know, other people that work there, he's he's shit on consistently by the warden and he himself goes out of his way to sort of insert himself into things to try and, and um, make his importance known, mm-hmm. especially when the warden is killed because he's like, well, technically I should be the next one in charge kind of thing, you know? Um, I think that it, I mean, in the nineties, there was, everything was just so very, you know, just washed over. You know, you look at a lot of films where everybody is just like throwing, you know, like homophobic slurs out and things like that. And this is kind of like that when it comes to dealing with mental illness or when it comes to dealing with with any type of disability, whether it's like a cognitive disability or a physical disability. So agreed. I mean, in the 90s, the R slur was like common parlance with kids. Like everybody was using the R slur, you know, in in this movie fortunately doesn't go that in that specific direction but it's just as bad like the the and apparently this was like something that was added during the process this 85 thing was not like in the original version of the script that he started filming and the the writers slash producers added it as they were going and it's totally unnecessary it has no bearing on the plot like it's not like this all comes down to him solving some complex equation that he just can't fucking figure out there's no reason for it to be there in in a movie that has so many like missing threads and weird parts like why why would you even have this here um uh, unless you were just like just a fucking cruel person when you were writing this yeah no purpose no narrative purpose 
no character purpose, nothing. It's just to yeah. be shitty. And the character, I mean, he defines himself as a company man, which in is alien, bad yeah, like in Alien, that was Ash. In Aliens, it was Paul Reiser. I guess the individual because I can't remember the character's name. And but he was smart. I mean, he was also like very conniving and like honest like this guy was honest to also honest where he was like i'm gonna sacrifice all of you i have a wife and kid you know this isn't my problem which is shitty to them but also like at least he's he's actually honest about it he's not he doesn't wait until he's like on the spot to be like well yeah and to be first i devil crossed you guys he does turn them over to the company which is theoretically his job burke which is paul reiser's character in the second one tries to set a face hugger on them so that they don't like blow his spot up he's he tries to set a face hugger on a child so that she will not blow his spot up burke sucks paul reiser's great he was a terrible character just in terms of like any type of redeemable qualities but one thing I, I thought was interesting about this movie is like the self-awareness of a lot of the characters. They they know who they are. They know who they aren't. Like even even Aaron was like, you know, yeah, I I'm going to sell all of you out so I can go home and be with my family. Like I'm done with this place. And he realizes that that's a really shitty thing to do. But it's still like, look, I have more important things to do than babysit all of you and or get killed by some crazy alien thing. It also feels like he still has some confidence in the company up till that moment that they're talking to Ripley and it becomes clear that they, yeah, they do not intend to kill this alien. The Lance Henriksen starts like actually being leveling with Ripley and she's like, you know, about to jump and he's like, oh, we're going to study it. Just think about the opportunity. And, you know, she's basically like, fuck well, off. I mean, what a crazy thing to say. He's like, you have to trust me. He's like, I think you're lying. He's like, Ripley, think of the way I've been lying to you. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we did the thing I lied to you and said I wouldn't do? Aaron's character is, you know, he redeems himself and he's honest through and through. I mean, he's definitely out of his element. He's like, what's his face in Aliens? The the one that explodes with Vasquez. I believe that's Lieutenant Gorman. Yes, that's yeah, Gorman. Gorman. Yeah, and he fucked up, and then he's like, fuck, I fucked up, and then he's like, oh, I'm going to explode now to redeem myself for fucking up, and then this is sort I'm of what... take Vasquez with me. Well, she was already fucked up, too. Well, Vasquez had gotten shot, and he was, <laughs> he was just sticking with her to, to blow up. They're going to blow up together. Grenade and they're like, yeah! Yeah, yeah. It's really like macho moment. It's beautiful. Uh, hey yeah. guys, let's talk about all the great queer content in this movie. When the warden says, starts rumor control, and he tells everybody that there's a woman who came to the to the place. I want to say it's Morris says, we've all taken a vow of celibacy, including women. So this idea of there would be no fraternization, whether it was you know, homosexual or heterosexual, there was nothing. But that was that was like pretty much the only way that they dealt with any queer content. And it was pretty explicit, but at the same time, like that was it. Like that's all they talked about. It seems wild that their decision would be, oh, it's a prison full of men, like a prison planet full of men where no women have gotten to or will ever get to, but not gay. Like it's not gay, okay. The space well, prison full of men is not gay. I'm wondering if Dylan's sort because you know Dylan is more or less like the ringleader and who's more or less came up with these like rules that pretty much everybody is living by. I'm wondering if Dylan's idea was like because there are so many people that 
were sexual predators that, you know, among the um, prisoners here, any type of sexual interaction could trigger something or like could trigger violence against somebody else. So I think like that, I mean, in my mind, and obviously I have no idea if this is the case, but like that might've been sort of the mindset, just have a completely clean slate because this way we don't have to worry about there being any, that type of external trigger, I guess. I think that's true um, as far as the movie leads us to believe. I mean, there's very little content in there. I mean, you usually could have a relationship between two of the characters. I, I believe if you made this movie today, you probably would, you know, whether it was romantic or sexual in nature, I think something like that would probably exist in, would in this movie. Probably be heavily coded and clear for audiences, but vague enough that it could still play in China. Yeah, there is still, there's definitely no like coded relationship in this. It's not like maybe they're gay. It's like, no. No, there's there's nothing in this film, like yeah. in terms yeah. of relationship between the prisoners. Yeah, and, and there, is no, there is no other woman for Ripley to look at adoringly as in, you know, the first alien movie. Oh, well. Uh, and aliens, they, she and the queen look at each yeah, other. They have a real moment. The um, queen has no eyes. You think there's any sort of uh, eyes to notice that Ripley is hot? Do you think there's any sort of uh, message for for like racial or social justice in here? Are they doing anything interesting with race? Aside from the cast being a bunch of pasty old white British dudes, yeah, I mean, I mean, it yeah. could theoretically be three more pasty old white British dudes, but who are? I mean, it's not nothing. I mean, at least we get at, at least we get Dylan, who again is one of the franchise's best characters. Yeah, yeah Dylan and is is one of the strongest characters for whatever movie. It's I mean, worth that this group of white sociopaths have accepted this black man as their spiritual leader. Dylan um, is great. There could be, yeah, I mean, that could I love be Dylan. another shitty white guy. And I think that's a, that's a positive for it. But I mean, you know, I, Charles S. Dutton is amazing. So of course, if you had that opportunity, you'd, you know, cast him in there. I think that's why Charles Dance's death halfway through the episode works for, so well for me is that it's not like the movie then doesn't have a character of that caliber and strength for the rest of the movie. Cause then Dylan is easily slotted in and is having more screen time and more to do and more interactions with Ripley from then on. So whether it's Charles dance or Dylan, like throughout the movie, you're having a great, uh, an actress putting in a great performance while acting as a compelling foil to Ripley. Yeah. The Charleses are really killing it in this movie. Charles yeah. squared is alien cube. Yeah. Charles squared. Okay, finally, guys, do we feel like this movie was worth watching? Would we recommend people check it out? Yes, if it's famous. Yes, I recommend it as a sci-fi horror movie. If you go in with the right expectations, do not go in expecting a movie as good as Alien or Aliens. Don't go in expecting to see the themes or character arcs of Aliens continued. If you go in and see it as its own, like its own science fiction horror movie, you are going to have a perfectly good, if slightly flawed time. This movie is fantastic. If you're just really into ministry, if you're super into industrial music, you just watch this movie and you'll feel right at home. Also, just industrial I you sounds. Meant, like, I thought you like, meant I want to hear idea of ministry, factories. like preaching. Oh, like to a ministry. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, do you like religious stuff? Well, this is <laughs> no. the alien for you. This is like skinny puppy. You like that? You like Robin Gristle? 
Well, this has everything. It has the sound and it has literal throbbing gristle in it. So uh, have that. Yeah, Erica, this... what do you think? Do you think it's yes. uh, worth checking out? I think it is worth checking out. Um, I vacillate between whether or not someone should see the theatrical cut versus assembly cut because I think they both do different things. So kind of like what Ben was saying, like if you just go in with like zero expectations and think about this not being part of Alien or Aliens, like not being sort of an extension of that, then I would say the theatrical cut is just go for it. But if you're looking for something with like, I think a little more, first of all, if you're looking for more Dylan and you're looking for a little more deeper idea, then I would definitely say look at the assembly cut. And it's a half an hour of, you know, extra cool supporting music yeah. too. And no dog death in the assembly exactly. cut. So no dog yeah, death. Yeah, that's I cut. that's always a plus in my book. Yeah, yeah, it comes out of an already dead oxen rather than a living dog. Yeah, and I, I think for me, like it's it's worth checking out. It's easily the worst of these three. I don't know. I haven't seen Resurrection in a long time. So we'll have to we'll have to watch that and see if that again sort of declines. But I think it really breaks the it really breaks the rule of sequels, which is like you have to do more, you have to do better each time. Because Alien is, you know, is really good at doing what it does and it does it in a tight space and it does it really well. And then Aliens gets bigger and crazier and brings in the military and, and stretches out the world. And then Alien 3, like there's some stuff to be stretched there. The idea of a prison planet is is new to this universe but they do so little of interest with it again like, it's, you know, it, i love be. the idea of a prison so much like the version of this movie where there wasn't ripley where it was just these people discarded used as experiments fighting for their own survival and their own right to exist in a world that has made them disposable like it just it's the franchise so well yeah, and if they didn't feel the need to stack so much sci-fi bullshit on top of it, the why why thing and the oh, it's a closed prison, but they're still there because of religious cult. Like, is so many things there that don't need to be there. Um, it overcomplicates it and it lessens its thematic impact. Also, I do love that one of the reasons they didn't go forward with uh, William Gibson's script is that this was now after 1992 and they're like, why do Cold War themes? Cold War's over. We're the swinging mid-90s. Nothing bad's ever going to happen again. All right. So uh, with, with all that said, uh, let's get some recommendations. Erica, what do you recommend people check out? This has absolutely nothing to do with nothing. <laughs> But there is a, a film that I really like called Stranger Than Fiction. It has Maggie Gyllenhaal, Will Ferrell. It is not a goofy Will Ferrell movie. It's not like, you know, Ricky Bobby or anything. Um, it's got uh, Queen Latifah and Dustin Hoffman and Emma Thompson. And it's just a really interesting movie that sort of gets a little meta when it comes and as a writer I find it very interesting because Emma Thompson plays this writer it's I can't explain it like I can't give you the log line but it's just a really interesting fun movie that's got a lot of very funny but also very emotional bits to it yeah I I love that movie Stranger Than Fiction is is fantastic uh yeah, also he's slap like a, soundtrack he's an irs auditor or something like that yes. and it's this sort of like quirky story about him going through this big change in his life but she is narrating the whole thing and he is inside the book that she's writing and uh, it's it's so it's so neat it's 
yeah, it it makes the writer part of my brain tingle, and it's uh, it's directed by Mark Forster, who's also really great. Um, and there's a great scene with Maggie Gyllenhaal, who is she owns a bakery, and she gets really pissed off at him, and she literally throws this giant hunk of dough across the room, and screams, "Tax man!" <laughs> and she screams at him, and it is so, like whenever my husband pisses me off, I just scream at him and go, "Tax man!" And it's just you know, you throw dough I at him. Make- I don't throw dough at him. He's the one who bakes. I don't bake. Okay. But, uh, you just throw yeah. your laptop at him. If only if laptops were as ex- were as disposable as the prisoners in the alien in Aliens Three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, sometimes I wish they are because sometimes my compute my laptop makes me angry enough to just want to smash a few of them. Yeah, that also has the I guess spit acid at one and then watch it just flip over into a big fan. <laughs> Yeah. That also has the scene that as a as an early 20-something watching this movie, uh, he brings her, since she is a baker, she, he brings her flowers, and it's a tray full of different types of flower. That's and so uh, it's like, oh, yeah. it's got me right here. I love that so much. Although I think when, when the movie was made, I think when the movie came out, it was like, I think 2006, I was well into my 30s already, so. The soundtrack to that movie, though, if you can find it, it's called Gimme Fiction. It's by Spoon, and it is fantastic. And uh, Emily, what did you have to recommend? I'm going to say Brazil. Um, If you like just looking at a bunch of cool pipes and have everything be like super aesthetic, David Fincher's okay. He's still he's still kicking. Terry Gilliam um, has has gone the way of many of those poor old dudes over on Turf Island, which is ironic because he was in uh, Jupiter Ascending, which was directed by the Wachowskis. It's a, he was not a turf at that time. Maybe, I don't know. It's, we didn't have the, the language for it then. So he may have still been shitty, but the movie Brazil is very good. It's very iconic. It's very, you know, it is one of those weird kind of vibe movies with some horror and some, some just weird nightmare imagery and, uh, it's very influential and it has a lot of that kind of gritty industrial look and a lot of sallow faced British people. A lot of a lot of things in common there. Maybe I think there are definitely there's definitely as much steam. Lots of steam yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would describe Brazil. I think it has a lot of the sensibilities that he's brought from Monty Python, but it's like, what if Monty Python? But fucked up. What if after you watch Monty Python, you were like, shit, life really is pointless, isn't it? Yeah. Well, like meaning of life is almost that. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a great pick. Yeah. It's a, it's a rough one, but a good one. Speaking of rough ones, but good ones. Ben, what have you got to recommend? So I am going to recommend Orange is the New Black, uh, at least the early few seasons of it, uh, as a story that actually does focus on... Uh, prisoners and the abuses they go through and the circumstances that lead them where they are and how the system uh, is failing them and really is just explicitly about all the things this movie doesn't explore. So uh, if you are wanting to see something that sheds a new light on prison and makes you question our fucked up justice system, check out Orange is the New Black. Fantastic. And watching this movie uh, is interesting for me because David Fincher is one of my favorite directors and I, I think he's really great, but I don't think this movie is very good in a lot of ways. But it had the effect of almost putting him out of the business. Like he almost didn't make any more movies after this. But fortunately, like another producer took a chance on him and gave him a chance to make a movie called Seven. Um, and Seven is dark. Uh, it's, you know... It's got Brad Pitt. Unfortunately, it's got Kevin Spacey, which is uh, not as great as it was at the time. But it's a very, I think, a very good 
dark, gritty police thriller. It was sort of leading the edge of what would go on to be a whole subgenre for like the next 10 years after that of like slightly supernatural serial killer Great. stuff. Great pick. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I love Seven. I that's, love a, Seven. that's a wonderful yeah. movie. Yeah. And it, it's, you really get a feeling for like David Fincher really spreading his legs in that one and seeing what he can actually do as compared to this movie where he was clearly in chains the whole time. So with that said, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Erica, where can people find you online and where can they find out more about uh, your, your comics and what you make? Um, okay. So on Twitter, I'm Erica Schultz 42 and on Instagram, I'm Erica Schultz writes W R I T E S. And people can always go to ericaschultzwrites.com. Um, I have a shop there. Um, I don't blog nearly as often as I should. I think it's been like a year. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I'm usually spouting some kind of nonsense on Twitter or, you know, posting photos of my cats. Fantastic. So everybody go uh, follow Erica and check out her comics. As for the rest of us, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and at Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com where you can pick up all of their books, including the brand new Immortals Phoenix Rising graphic novel from Great Beginnings. And you can pre-order the upcoming Blows Against the Empire graphic novel. And for me, you can find my Twitter and Instagram at jrome58 and my website at jeremywhitley.com where you can check out everything I write. There's a lot there. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon uh, at Progressively Horrified. Our website is progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and we are on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod. We would love to hear from you about this episode or anything else you have to say about scary movies. Speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you would rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. It helps us find new listeners and helps uh, people know what to check out. Thank you all again for joining us and thank you so much for uh to erica for for coming to join us today and talk about alien yeah, 3 thank you so much. and thank you for recommending alien 3 i've been wanting to talk about alien 3 for a long time you this... got all pieces about alien 3 yeah it it's it's been like 20 years but <laughs> um so and like, that frees I... us up for somebody who suggests resurrection now so you can bag um, just if you dare. <laughs> yes, thank you all for so much for listening next week is the first week of February. And all month in February, we were talking about horror movies with black directors. So join us all month for that, but especially next week when we'll be talking about the legend himself, Blackula. Until then, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified was created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, and Erica Schultz. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at Pod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.